And welcome, you're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. I am a somewhat lackluster uh, host, uh, Saren Kaster, today on the program. Not feeling super hot, but I dragged my body down all the way down here. Anyway, that's right. You don't have to be lackluster. Well, I appreciate that, Stefan. Thank you. So uh, to to help pick up some of that slack, of course, uh, Stefan is always ready to pick up my slack. But we have additional reinforcements today as the Dave also joins us. Dave Hostetter <laughs> also joins us in studio. I think uh, for the second time ever, second is that time. correct? Second time. Welcome back, Dave. Thank you. It's nice to see you. We, we referred to the Dave occasionally in the form of as seen on TV, as seen in text <laughs> messages, as read by Stefan from his phone. It's oh, nice yeah. to see you again in the studio. Thank you. So I know I into I do understand uh, what our first section is, and then I'm going to actually just more or less throw it to Stefan. I'm, I might just be here for comedic effect today. Uh, but I do know our first topic is going to be Kinder Morgan, and I do know that, Dave, you're going to be helping us with that. So mm-hmm. I, I, are we throwing to Dave here, Stefan, or do you want to do an intro? Uh, yeah, just yeah. So, so we're going to do Kinder Morgan uh, sort of news uh, conversation in the first section, then in the uh, then the music break, and then we'll come, with, come back with our, we're calling our East Coast correspondent, there you go. Uh, uh, Lauren Lauren Latar, um, who will who's been doing some research on Kinder Morgan from across Canada. So it's an across Canada checkup uh, doing her with de- one person doing her debut. Exactly, yeah, for her debut. Uh, debut, nice. Yeah, she's been doing some research and looking into the Kinder Morgan. So we're going to have a larger conversation about sort of the media's role. Uh, within within this, this discussion, and then to round it out, we are going to have a couple conversations. In part, in honor to one of our good, some of our good friends who run Water Docs Toronto, which is coming up soon. So oh, nice. Google Water Docs if you want to find out some great things they're doing. But we're going to have some conversations about water and oil uh, to close out the show. So that's what we're looking up for. Awesome. So as a brief introduction to you, Dave, uh, what you're going to be talking about? Stuff's going on with Kinder Morgan. Uh, my news feed has been exploding. It seems like this is actually a hot topic outside of the environment uh, mm-hmm. uh, arena today mm-hmm. because. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, because it's now creating conflict. It's now we're now moving out of rhetoric and into action or or lack of action. That's right. uh, and for more, we go to you. All right. So the following information was gathered from the Kinder Morgan and Trans Mountain websites and recent reporting done from the CBC, CTV, Huffington Post, Global News, and the Toronto Star. The Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain expansion is a $7.4 billion project that will parallel the existing 1,100-kilometer route of the Trans Mountain Pipeline, which was built in 1953. The pipeline is currently the only West Coast link for tar sands oil. If built, the expansion will triple shipping capacity from 300,000 to 890,000 barrels per day. The number of oil tankers navigating the narrow Burrard Inlet will increase sevenfold. In 2013, uh, Kinder Morgan filed an application with the Calgary-based National Energy Board. The federal government approved the project in 2016 after the National Energy Board declared that the project was in the Canadian, quote, public interest. The Kinder Morgan website states, With oil sands production expanding in Alberta in the years ahead, new markets and opportunities are emerging. As countries in Asia-Pacific begin to develop the same quality of life we enjoy in Canada, they need to secure sources of energy. Now, this year, on April 8th, just this past week, 2018, Kinder Morgan announced it will not commit any additional shareholder resources to the project and suspend construction, citing sustained opposition from the B.C. government. Kinder Morgan CEO Steve Keen said, quote, A company cannot resolve the differences between governments. A company cannot litigate its way to an in-service pipeline amidst jurisdictional differences between governments. The uncertainty leads us to the conclusion that we should not risk billions of dollars on an outcome that is outside of our control. Keane also stated that Kinder Morgan recognizes the vital importance of the project to Canada. They have spent $1.1 billion on the project thus far. 
<clears throat> they will abandon the project if an agreement is not reached within a month, within a month and a half by May 31st, 2018. After the, release, after the release of this statement, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau emphatically reiterated his contention that the pipeline will be built. He sees the project as a key trade-off with Alberta in order to develop a national climate change strategy, which includes putting a price on carbon. Many BC residents point out that Alberta stands to gain most of the economic benefit from the pipeline, while British Columbia will shoulder most of the environmental and economic risks. Kinder Morgan's decision to suspend the project has followed years of grassroots activist pressure and has bitterly divided British Columbia, Alberta, and the Canadian federal government. Trudeau has said, This is a pipeline in the national interest and it will get built. Federal Resources Minister Jim Carr has said, the government, on Canada, the government of Canada calls on the BC government to end all threats of delay to the Trans Mountain expansion. Its actions stand to harm the entire Canadian economy. The NDP Premier for Alberta, Rachel Notley, has said, We have to be able to get these things done when it is clearly in the national interest. When through the law, through the constitution, through the processes, a decision in the national interest has been taken, then it must be enforceable. The NDP, Premier, the, the NDP Premier for British Columbia, John Horgan, has said, My views on this have been consistent for the past year. We believe the risk is too great, and there is no evidence to indicate that that risk has been diminished. Premier Notley of Alberta went on to issue a series of threats to BC should it continue to oppose the project. This includes the limitation of their oil supply, which would raise BC's already high gas prices, as well as renewing a ban on British Columbian wine, which apparently accounts for 95% of Alberta's wine consumption. Did not know. Premier Notley has also urged the federal government to introduce economic sanctions on BC, claim jurisdiction through, through legislation in the courts, and provide a shareholder insurance through financial investment. Notley is also considering having Alberta pur itself purchase the project. She has compared it to government action to protect the Ontario auto sector and the Quebec aerospace sector with Bombardier. When asked about Jim Carr's contention that it is no time to make threats, Notley stated that the conflict, quote, might be seen as a picture of what is to come should we not understand the overall economic value of this project to all provincial economies, including BC's, adding, we are not going to let the government of BC use vague harassment techniques as a means of scaring away investors. Premier Horgan of BC has stated, I want all Canadian, I want to say to all Canadians that I profoundly believe in the rights of British Columbians to stand up and make sure that we're doing everything we can to protect the interests of our province. I don't want to do that in a provocative way. I don't want any threats. I don't want any ultimatums. And I believe other governments should follow suit. For the federal government, all options are on the table. And supporters of the project argue that the feds have already, already have all the tools they need. Some have gone so far as to suggest the government should declare a state of emergency, allowing it to bypass the lawsuits that are already underway, or else invoke a constitutional clause which would negate provincial law. A member of the Fraser Institute has suggested that military troops should escort construction. Federal Finance Minister Bill Morneau indicated recently that they are indeed looking to back the project financially in order to reassure investors. Morneau also rejected federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh's suggestion that all parties defer to the Supreme Court, stating that it is already clear that the project is in the federal jurisdiction. Now, activists against, activist actions against the project have swelled over the past month, with around 200 people arrested near the Burnaby Marine Terminal. Such grassroots opposition has been going on since the beginning, with indigenous communities at the forefront as the pipeline crosses hundreds of kilometers of unceded territory. And while public debate 
has centered around Horgan, Notley, Trudeau, and Kinderborgan executives, indigenous leaders are making themselves heard loud and clear in the courts. First Nations lawyer Robert Jaynes says the argument over investor uncertainty and provincial jurisdiction is secondary to legal questions regarding Aboriginal treaty rights. The CBC reports that a victory for Indigenous groups in the appeals court would force Ottawa back to the bargaining table, while a loss might trigger a battle in the Supreme Court, which could take years. The legal arguments are around land rights and the Crown's constitutional duty to consult First Nations, which many of the latter claim has not been done in a meaningful way. The situation is especially tricky since so many nations are affected in different ways and in different places by the project. Jaynes says the legalities are confusing even for veteran lawyers, stating, to describe it as complicated doesn't start to scratch the surface. The real solutions here lie in diplomacy and not necessarily litigation or just trying to turn everything into a business deal. Reuben George, manager of the Tsleil-Waututh Nation Sacred Trust Initiative, says the last thing the government wants to admit is that we do have this power. It's a tough lesson for them to learn. Grand Chief Stuart Phillip of the Union of BC Indian Chiefs has said, We are here because we are so deeply concerned about our future generations. We are so deeply concerned about the land and the waters. But rest assured, there will never, ever be a Kinder Morgan Trans Mountain Pipeline project. And finally, Justin Trudeau announced yesterday that he will interrupt a nine-day foreign trip to summon Rachel Notley and John Horgan to Ottawa. Their meeting will take place on Sunday, April 15th. Thank you so much. The so to, the to jump back, that was a sort of a great uh, overview of where we stand now. So there's the answer to the I, question I, we were talking about earlier. I think the word you're looking for is comprehensive. Comprehensive, mm -hmm. exactly. That was a very yes. comprehensive review. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and so to jump back to some of the earlier stuff, just to sort of to, – to, we'll have the conversation about where the media sort of is not having the conversation correctly there. I want to focus first on the the three the – the, the politics and the politicians involved specifically and mm -hmm. from a standpoint of – how is it that you have three leaders, all of whom who should under like all of whom who espouse progressive values, all of whom who uh, have uh, have uh, clearly have at least indicated they understand the threat of climate change, uh, and all of whom who uh, are should are, are generally I think if you ask all three of them outside of any context probably relatively agree on what a future forward looks like. Right, like I, I, I would be surprised if you just met the Trudeau, Horgan, and Notley at a bar. You know, they're all sort of center left. Uh, Horgan, uh, I think, is probably is more left than the other two, obviously, uh, be, be given that PC is. But like, I, he doesn't seem to me uh, to be a overtly radical human being. Um, and and so this the the concept that the three of them all who sort of have managed to create basically a constitution constitutional crisis, like they've managed to somehow. Uh, bungle the conversation that could be being had here in such an outstanding way that you you end up with this this weird experience where you know now all three of them are going to end up like does anyone think this conversation is going to work like does anyone actually think that they're going to get there on Sunday and then Horgan is going to be like yes you know because <laughs> that's the only way that's the only thing that would be acceptable to Notley and Trudeau mm -hmm. there's no version of this where you go forward where Notley or Trudeau don't get this pipeline. Um, and so, and so this, this, this concept here of everyone has taken such a, the, 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 the tact has been so hard line, um, and, and so absent in the large, uh, to the larger conversation, 
too, right? Like the fact that it's Trudeau and Notley and Horgan having this conversation instead of, you know, forget all the people who are currently actually blocking and stopping access into the Kinder Morgan sightline, uh, the, the activists and the Kai activists and all the all the indigenous leaders that are putting us, the tiny houses, people the, 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 the tiny houses to block this pipeline. Like the number of people who are clearly invested in this project who are not being in that room mm. is the reason why they have failed to have a real conversation. Mm. You know, and, and, and especially when you go back to sort of the, the agreement that, that was considered historic to get sort of Alberta to have any price on carbon, uh, which sort of brought a whole wide range of people onto it and then everyone sort of left unhappy. Uh, but they had a price on carbon now and, the, and, and, and you know, the oil companies were going to actually have a conversation about it. That kind of big tent conversation is, is so far away from the three leaders who are... I actively do not know, like, unless they're talking about spin in this conversation about how each one of them is going to like leave and try to convince their mm. constituents that like whichever option they did is not a loss, or if it's literally just Trudeau threatening Horgan with you know with military, which man would that set off? Like that's a terrible idea. I don't. I don't think the Instagram prime minister would go that route. I, I can't. <laughs> it would. It would be. Awful. They're calling it his just watch me moment. Actually, I read. <laughs> oh, wow. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Although I could see him posed atop a like very non-threatening Canadian unarmed APC or something like that. Yeah. Like I, like I think there's a I imagine there's there's other versions of this that would sort of get them closer. But like the the um, the incredible opposition that was put up by, you know, by the groups of people who are who are fighting this has really done an amazing job of forcing this forcing Trudeau in, in, in into this corner, mm. you know, in, in the, the, and I think Kinder Morgan, which you understand why did not give any credit to the activists stopping them. Uh, you know, it was a hundred percent about BC. Oh no, it's it, the entire intention is to remove them from the discussion. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Like they don't, nobody wants to, nobody in that discussion wants to acknowledge that, that they're even there, which is why all of this is about how could you, John Horgan? Right. John, John, <laughs> yeah. how John. could you, Horgan? Yeah. yeah. How could you, how could you, this is you one man standing against the rest of Canada. That's, that's the, di that's the conversation they want. They, yeah. They want it to sound like one man against all Canadians. And, and what's, and what, what's actually really concerned, what's, what's concerning, I think to the rest of Canada, we should be thought of with us Canada, especially Quebec. Uh, is the concept of like one of the very first things you learn in environmental law classes is just that there's that the thought that um, that the states in the United States is sort of is sort of states rights and that's the power there and in Canada it's it's more federally mandated is totally wrong. Like the the the, the, prov the provincial governments in Canada have so much more power mm. uh, in so many more ways, and so and and, all, and, th and that was built up over time through through litigation, litigation often through Quebec ensuring its own sovereignty, and so any action here that would that would put more federalism on the table and more federal and and, for, and basically bring in a stronger action from the federal government would be fundamentally disconcerting. To, to Quebec for sure, uh, and and mm -hmm. and, and, the, and uh, uh, because of the fact that it would pave the way for something like you know like in, Energy East was killed in part because of Quebec's opposition. Imagine the scenario where this exact conversation is happening, except instead of Kinder Morgan, they had said yes to Energy East, and this fight's about to happen in Quebec. That's that's a fundamentally think how Trudeau would be talking differently mm. if he was dealing with the fact. Like, it's fundamental that the fact that he's that 
that he's not dealing with Quebec in this scenario, which he would have been had they proved Energy East, and is instead dealing with BC, I think means he feels like he can be a little more heavy-handed. Which is, I mean, we're doing a bit of speculation here. Right. Uh, but that could be the rationale for why one was greenlit and the other wasn't. There was like, we're going to have to, we're going to have to pick one of these two. To, for the sake of optics, and I would rather fight BC than Quebec for the exact reason you're outlining. I think that was a conscious strategic decision. I do not think it's an accident. Yeah, I think the, yeah, the other part of it would be that it's also there's a they had already the only other win that they've had in pipelines, uh, it, which it was is uh, is line nine, uh, which was already sort of built infrastructure, and I think they've realized that trying to sort of they were twinning this quote unquote, which is really just building a second pipeline beside it, but like but it's already there is can be sort of turned as if it is not is as as if it's somehow less disruptive and it, and it should it, it will be in some ways but like but still it's, you're still double tri- tripling the size of this thing and you are still building a second pipeline beside the first pipeline mm-hmm. you know it's not like that's having a conversation you're having and yeah it's just it's fascinating that that there was that they've somehow managed to create this political football that really like only well, the, the, the last part about this uh, before we go to break, and Dave, jump in if you have any thoughts, um, is that this this political situation was was created in part because, like, I'm fascinated by the Alberta NDP because, like, as the minute that the two conservative groups coalesced into one, the concept that the, that they are that that the NDP was going to win the next election completely lost lost it for me. Like, the minute that Jason Kenney became the United uh, Albertans uh, party, like the, the two conservative parties in Alberta United, and Jason Kenney being leader, they were going to win the next election, unquestionably. And so for, for Notley, this sort of feels like a thing of, for her, it almost feels like a, this was a promise that I made, and I will carry through with this promise that I made. But... And that's that. That's where it's coming from. It's coming from a because like it's it's not ideological in the sense that the you know the, and that it's not it doesn't come from a large place of 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 anything else. And then for for Horgan, it's very much like I got elected to stop this pipeline. Like I got like right. very much I got elected to stop. Well, this and very she very much got elected to to build it. They're like okay, we'll let you put a smiley face on it, but you better still protect our interest. I mean that was essentially well, the deal that Albertans offered her. Well, it, well then it, well then and then Trudeau came in and basically said that like the conservatives were too mean all the time. That's why no pipelines got built i'll be nicer and i'll get pipelines built right uh and he ha- he was handed a, the gift of of uh of, of keystone xl which still may not get through because of other fights but the fact that trump won and then just gave him that one he's like look it's already working um and and then and then and the, but this is the second one right like if he doesn't get this one passed then arguably his stance is is moot yeah he made uh, Trudeau essentially like a bunch of people here essentially made a bad bet and it's an understandable bad bet uh but it was a bad bet and so essentially they just got caught uh, in a trap that honestly, I don't think they fairly could have seen coming from their perspective. And what mm. the trap was, was that, you know, environment people are generally like the left. They, you know, they have a certain amount of power, but they never really wield power, right? Like environmentalists don't get governments elected, not in the way that like conservative activist groups do. Right. So like there's a limited, there's, there's like a feel good power, there's an outreach, but like, as we've seen with like a number of places, you can take a fairly liberal place and give them a shady person like Doug Ford and Doug Ford can still get elected because of peeling off just enough people who are like, well, I don't really like them, but I do care about my pocket. 
to do that, right? So uh, traditionally, they're, uh, it's fair for them to not expect the amount of leverage to materialize, right? And so when the idea was, when you're used to the whole politics is like playing ball, right? I'll do this for me. I don't really want to do it, but I know that you're going to do that for me later. We'll do make a thing happen. It's all good, right? And so essentially what happened was he didn't think that after the other pipeline went down and after the threats uh, that we already talked about on the show before about, uh, hey, what do you want? Someone worse than Notley if you don't get this pipeline through. So they really thought all those arguments were going to peel enough support away from the environmentalists that that boat would sort of that it would sort of like run out of engine power. Um, and all it's done was coalesced it into essentially a flashpoint. One of the things I was laughing about, I have uh, tons of comments I could make about your notes date, but there's just one I want to make really quickly before we go to break, which was the Kinder Morgan giving that date because what that date is, that date's arbitrary. I mean, oh, they yeah. just made that date up, right? But so the idea was, was you have to figure it out by here or we're going to walk. That's not a threat to the public. That's a threat to Trudeau personally. Mm-hmm. That's, hey, Trudeau, we're TikTok, TikTok, yeah. TikTok, mm-hmm. right? What they don't realize, the other side of that, and I was sort of laughing about, was that also goes, hey, environmentalists whose entire job was this stalling things for the last six years, right. you have 30 days and your job's done. <laughs> so I just was like kind of quietly laughing my butt off about that because I was like, I'm pretty sure they can muster 30 days more effort. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, well, I don't know if I would have done it that way if I was you. But anyway, I have tons more comments, but I just really like, I, th- for me, this whole situation makes a lot of sense. And it has to do with a bunch of a, people making assumptions about the limitations of the power of the quote unquote left. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm thrilled to find out that um, this has become a flashpoint for people rather than a sort of diffusion of energy because, well, we got some of what we wanted. We should really just, you know, yeah, people are not buying it and I could not be more happy. Yeah. Uh, any last thoughts, Dave, before we throw a break and talk about the media? No. All right. Great. Uh, so we'll be back with Lauren uh, to talk about sort of how the media is talking about this because there's so much more to talk about with Kinder Morgan. It's Kinder Morgan for the first 40 minutes of the show. Over to Megan, our tech. What, what do we listen to today? So for our first music... And we are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. A little bit breathy today. I'm a little out of breath. (laughs) (laughs) And for that reason, we're going to throw back to Stefan. Ah, thank you. Uh, So we should be uh, on the phone with Lauren. Lauren, are you there? Yeah. Hi. How are you folks today? Amazing. We're very well. Hello. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Uh, So as we mentioned, you've been doing some, you've been looking into this uh, quite extensively for the last little while, uh, and you have thoughts, some thoughts on on how the media is, 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 Arguably, I'll, I'll put—I don't want to put words in your mouth—but I'm going to say failing to have this, to have the right conversations. Uh, but feel free to deny that you don't feel they're failing, or maybe they could be, how they could be doing better. Um, so yeah, what? Uh, how, how are you? How are you reading this? Um, I would say failure is like a completely appropriate term to use. Um, so I, I'm, I'm like a quintessential millennial in the sense that I listen to an obnoxious number of podcasts <laughs> and, um, one of the ones I listen to all the time, well, like several of them, um, I listen to are based out of the CBC, which obviously is Canada's like preeminent media broadcaster. And this past week in, in general, but especially this past week, one of the things that has just been driving me absolutely bonkers is listening to Power and Politics, which is like their number one politics program, aside from maybe like the house that broadcasts on the weekend. Um, their coverage of Kinder Morgan has been super extensive. They've talked about it every single day for probably half of the show, but they're almost entirely lacking Indigenous representation. Um, and it's <laughs> somehow like the entire climate conversation has been absent from talking about the pipeline. It's like, the conversation has entirely pivoted from the idea of whether or not this pipeline is really best for, for, for folks who reside within Canada and 
whether or not it's really good in terms of our climate plan. And, and the conversation has entirely shifted to sort of what, what y'all were discussing earlier, just sort of around the constitutionality and legality of it. And that's sort of infuriating because it's like, no, no, the, like, the jury is not even out on this. Like, we, we know the pipeline doesn't work and isn't conducive with our climate plan. But, but this conversation is entirely absent from the discourse that's being presented to the average Canadian. Like, obviously, the average listener of the Green Majority is perfectly aware of the environmental implications of hey, Senator uh, Morgan. I, I have to correct you there. There are at least uh, half a dozen people who hate listen to this show. <laughs> so we shouldn't, we shouldn't describe the whole audience as homogeneous. And, and there's probably Sorry. at least 12 people who just randomly hear how, turn on to us when they're driving. But yeah. everyone else, yes. I, I know that number because they email me. <laughs> uh, well, my apologies to those listeners. I'm so sorry for painting everyone with the same brush. <laughs> but... Uh, the typical green majority yes. listener um, is totally aware of, of the environmental risks of the pipeline. And yet, if, if the average Canadian is getting their information from CBC, that's sort of a chapter that's been really, really left out of the discourse. And that's really disconcerting. Yeah. Um, because it means it's, it's sort of, it reminds me of similar to the way that the Energy East pipeline was presented to the average New Brunswick or Nova Scotian. Is, is kind of the way that Kinder Morgan is being presented to Canada. And it means that we have a general populace who is really, really, um, oh, I have to like catch myself with language, um, really, really ticked off <laughs> that, um, that this pipeline isn't going to go through because the only perspective they're being presented with is, is, is the one that this pipeline needs to be built because otherwise Alberta will collapse and we won't have any jobs and the economy will grind to a halt. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and, and and I think there's to to jump off that one of the qu- things that actually I've found true about almost all of these conversations is is that the first question that would be asked for me if I was trying to if I was you know in a perfectly rational world which we obviously do not live in uh, the first question I would ask would be how long do you expect to be using this pipeline? Yes, like mm-hmm. that's the first question, and then from there we can do the math. Uh, yeah. Both ways, you know, like I know one of the big one of the big activist moves recently was to try to get Trudeau to show the math on his on on him saying it must get built and it's it will it will fit within our climate plan. Exactly. Uh, and, and, and we're sort of fundamentally missing that uh, that 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 conversation because like because we're starting almost like seven layers later. Right. We're starting with the really the debate about 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 the politics of the whole scenario. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 yet we're ignoring this sort of central first question. No, exactly. And and to confirm for people listening, Trudeau didn't show his math. That was actually that was kind of a great campaign. Um, it was launched by a couple of different organizations within Canada. And like you said, it was the idea that sort of similar to the way your fourth grade math teacher made you show your work when you were doing your long division. Um, they wanted Trudeau to to show the science and show the math behind uh, the approval of Kinder Morgan and why it was conducive and why it fit in with our climate plan. And, and obviously, obviously, he didn't acquiesce to that request. Um, and just and so, sorry, Lauren, if I can just, I just want to underline what you were just saying. I don't, I don't mean, I don't want to no, interrupt no, you please. too badly, but just to underline it, it specifically, the, the, we do have, these are not abstract concepts. That's not like sort of a tongue in cheek request to ask to show the math. We have very good, highly accurate to the degree that you can predict the future estimates of what the costs of climate change will be. They can, to some degree of accuracy, be broken down by country and impact. So we mm-hmm. have, we have those numbers. They also have already done the budget numbers about what the supposed benefits will 
OB. We haven't seen their work, there were, but they do have it, and that work was done. Uh, so this is not some abstract, hey, can you go, something that they can't actually be done. It's not even a big ask in the sense that, you know, this would take years of study. This is something that they probably already have done and don't feel like sharing. That's the truth. Absolutely accurate. No, you're, you're completely right. Um, yeah, so like that's the thing. It's, uh, we know that as it stands, even if you weren't going to factor in um, Kinder Morgan, we're already overshooting our, our sort of our, our reduction of 30% below or 30% reduction in carbon dioxide emissions by 2030. Like we're already not going to hit that. And then you add Kinder Morgan onto that and it's, it's, there's like, we completely blow our carbon budget and you're right. And that like, of course this work's already been done. Of course that math already exists. These are numbers that would have been generated years ago. Um, So it's incredibly frustrating that Trudeau isn't just sort of like, like copping to that. And especially that McKenna has the gall to get up in front of cameras and to get up in front of journalists and say, Oh no, we're absolutely going to meet our climate targets. And it's like, girl, I know you're lying and you know, you're lying. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, and, and going back to the idea that you said, it's like, um, yeah, this pipeline is going to lock us in for 50 years. You don't build a pipeline with, like, anticipating that you're going to stop using it within an, within 10 years. And we we can't lock ourselves into 50 more years of, of continued tar sands expansion. It just it doesn't make sense from a climate standpoint and from an economic standpoint, realistically. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's to, to to jump back to your to energy east as well, and sort of how the convers- these conversations about pipelines have have carried on. Mm-hmm. One of the most interesting things I found about the energy east conversation was the the debate about whether or not you'd include downstream emissions. Yeah, uh, and and then and then it's I, I was so fascinated about how that got talked about because it felt like the it was never it was never. No one ever copped to the fact that everyone knew that if you included downstream emissions, uh, it would it it would uh, it would immediately invalidate it. It was yeah. it was one of these things where uh, yeah, uh, and sorry for listeners, downstream emissions are the emissions of actually burning the the oil, uh, and upstream emissions are are what is caused by creating the oil. And so most of these projects previously have been only understood about upstream emissions, about creating the oil, and then they're sort of like, well, even even though the central reason to have the oil is to burn it, um, uh, it we, we won't count that as if it's a part of the economic the environmental impacts. And and I find that so fascinating that the. Like energy was in some ways killed because ultimately they decided to give it a, car, a climate test, and then before, yeah. in, 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 instead of even going through that climate test, they just gave up on it. Yeah, they, they just they just bailed because again they'd already done the numbers. Well, exactly. Yeah, they know. <laughs> they already knew the answer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and 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 so I feel like it's this it's this weird it's this weird game where where there are a couple pieces of of of, of like very obvious com- re- like. W- ways that it should just not go through you know like you know like uh for example like if you if if the if the if the canadian government was going to treat that Selawatooth as um as a as a uh, as a nation to nation which is our agreements uh mm-hmm. we couldn't do this that's like no there's no part of like like canada doesn't get to put a pipeline through greenland uh no matter how much in our own national interest putting a pipeline through greenland is that's just that we've just that's a nation to nation agreement that would mm-hmm. uh, alone be the end of the conversation. However, we've decided that, again, we're ignoring that conveniently and then moving on. And then you get to the climate conversation. And, and it's the same thing. Uh, and so I, I'm just like, has anyone out there that you've been experiencing doing a better job <laughs> of talking about this? 
Well, well, that's it. It's like the the media outlets that are doing a good job are are ones that are sort of. I, I don't like to use the word fringe because it has negative connotations, but but are. Our, our media outlets like the National Observer and Ricochet and Smog, like they're they're publications that sort of have a have a bit of a captive audience that way to a degree. It's sort of preaching to the choir. Um, of course, APTN is doing fantastic coverage, um, but but again, it has a somewhat um, narrow uh, narrow viewership, I guess. Um, no, it's all sort of super reminiscent of, again, to go back to Energy East, just because we sort of forget that it was really only a few months ago that that decision was made. Yeah. Um, so the coverage of Energy East was so incredibly skewed and biased in the Maritime provinces because um, not, many, not many folks outside of the Maritimes, not many folks within the Maritimes realized that all of the um, print media outlets um, within New Brunswick are owned by um, the Irving family, um, which isn't a name that's super well-known beyond the Maritime Provinces, but um, they own um, like almost all of the gas stations, almost all of the logging uh, facilities. They're, they're a huge oil and gas um, family out here, um, and they own all of the media publications. They've, they've a couple that are owned by another massive media conglomerate out of, out of Halifax. So, so the coverage you're getting, although although I don't want to pass judgment on on journalists by by any means, they're always doing their best work. But it's it's of course it's going to be skewed, right? When when, when the people bankrolling your 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 newspaper uh, have have an entirely vested interest in the success of a project. So it's like I was, it's 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 amazing how angry people still are that Energy East is canceled because the discourse was so was so skewed and so and so mm. shaped and nursed by by the oil and gas industry. I was, I was sitting on a plane next to a random person when I was flying a couple of months ago. And, and I think they saw a patch on my bag or a pen or, or somehow, somehow the pipeline came up or somehow Trudeau came up and they made it clear that the reason they weren't going to be voting liberal in the next election was because they blamed Trudeau for energy East being canceled and, and they held that against him. So, so that's why it's like, we, I, I think we tend to sort of, brush aside the consequence and the weight that media can carry in shaping a conversation about, about something like a pipeline um, and, and the role that it plays in, in educating the general populace who, who, doesn't, who don't necessarily have time to, to go through and read articles from the National Observer and DSMOG and look at press releases. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> My, Lauren, before, um, um, before Stefan asks you another question, My, I've just been thinking um, all this week while I've been off, uh, unfortunately, n- nursing myself in bed most of this week, uh, I've had a lot of time to think about this stuff. And, and one of the things that occurred to me, because one of the ways that I kill time when I'm more or less incapacitated at home is to watch YouTube news. And so I've been watching a lot of American news. And one of the things that this really made me think about um, at a sort of a conceptual level was the Russian election recently, the, 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 the congratulated by Trump uh, uh, election of of, uh, of Vladimir Putin, and of course the situation there, of course, is like well he won an election, but um, you know there's uh, he basically jailed all of his real opponents, controls all the media, the entire country, um, and then there's one or two sort of like re- the 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 opponents who aren't actually threats in any way, the sort of mediocre opponents, that some of which uh, there's of course rumor and and uh, that some of them are just sort of paid operatives, so that there's someone running against him technically that sort of thing. And it reminds me very much of this conversation here, which is that, you know, it's sort of like, well, here's all the reasons why we should have a pipeline. And then uh, we're going to go 
to someone for a response on the climate change thing, but right after we go to commercial break and then they just don't come back to commercial <laughs> break. Right. So like yeah. everything about it has been one side. And as you said, like climate change never comes up. So they'll spend 45 minutes talking about the supposed economic benefits of this pipeline and then go to commercial. And that's the end of the story. So it's mm -hmm. like, the, so it's not even just, I mean, you know, someone who's on the other side of the ideological fence could be just, Oh, you're just whining about, you know, blah, 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 blah. but, but no, but like, why are all these people, there's thousands, that's why they don't want to talk about the thousands and thousands and thousands of individual people protesting because mm -hmm. there's an actual reason that they don't want this pipeline. It isn't mm -hmm. just politics. And that's why they're so desperate to make this about Horgan and why all the newspapers only who have honestly, in some instances, co-ownership with companies that have investments in, in various things like this. So there is a there is a financial angle to that and why the mainstream media is not talking about that. Uh, I wouldn't put that on the individual journalists, as you say, but, you know, these companies. Uh, but essentially, it's like it, it's they're not even attempting to try and like give like a bad version of the other argument. And that's why for people who are even the slightest bit informed, it's so obvious that it's dishonest reporting. But mm -hmm. unfortunately there are just so many people who are, who just don't notice, Hey, did you, did you not catch how the fact how they never actually presented any argument for mm -hmm. the other side? Do you really think that all these people have no reason for opposing this pipeline? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nothing like that's, that's what to me seems like it's actually going to backfire, frankly. And, and that, if I may uh, interject, Stefan, I would like to ask you that question. Mm -hmm. Do you think this will backfire? Because my opinion, I'll tease my answer here is that I feel like a lot of this stuff has been backfiring recently and I see this could as well. Mm -hmm. Oh no, absolutely. Like, like to that point, like I said, I've been, <laughs> I've been, I've been forcing myself to listen to power and politics all week. And, um, and, and sort of the, the one sort of notable presence of, of sort of like indigenous uh, representation that they've had in like literally the past four or five days of programming and each of their programs is two hours long. Like it's an absurd amount of airtime they get um, was when they gave like 10 or 15 minutes to the BC grand chief Stuart Phillips. And like, that was a really great segment. That was a really great interview. He, he cleared up a lot of misconceptions, um, especially because like one of the main talking points that you keep hearing is like, Oh, well there are 43 nations who are completely in support of the pipeline. And he was like, um, I have no idea what 43 groups you're talking about. Nobody has ever brought the list of those names forward, so I can't verify that. Um, for instance, that was, that was sort of one of the points he made. But anyway, so there was this really awesome 10 or 15-minute segment with him, and then commercial break happened, and then they pivoted to um, a panel that they have every day that lasts for 30 to 45 minutes, where, of course, they were talking in depth about the pipeline. And, and I think it was somebody like Stockwell Bay um, was sort of, again, bringing up these points about, oh, like, there is Indigenous consent, there's 43 groups that are in support of it. And not only did they not have BC Chief or BC Grand Chief Stuart Phillip there to counter those points, the journalist who had just gotten out of that interview and, had, and was now moderating this panel didn't correct him, didn't didn't interject to say, actually, Mr. Day, um, that's sort of up for debate, that's that's up for question. So it's <laughs> these journalists just aren't holding these these panelists or, or these these sort of political pundits to account when when they are trying to have these discussions. So, so you're right. The, the argument that's being presented is entirely lopsided and it will absolutely blow up in people's faces because because you're right. Like if if they were 200 people in a month aren't arrested for for no good reason. You know what I mean? Like these weren't like radical black blockers in like <laughs> like the hoods and chains and like these weren't these weren't scary intimidating rebels being arrested these were these were grandmothers and young people and sort of the everyday average person you'd see on the street and 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 almost 200 of them were arrested there were 100 people pulled into court this week 
um, in BC over over the arrests and and those people aren't voiceless. So it's yeah, it's totally going to blow up in their faces. Despite their Just best a matter efforts. of time. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that's the real thing, right? Is is the question of what how of how long one could like as long as the as the, the type of the, the 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 unbelievable man of resistance that it's facing from the public is is the sort of is the uncovered story and I think what's whenever something comes up I feel like and it's a surprise to people so often it's because we've been ignoring sort of the voices on the streets and the, or the voice the voices of the people who are who are who really have that sort of like you know like Notley and Trudeau have maybe at worst their jobs like mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. at risk right that's the the worst thing that they have risk the people who are in who are uh who are in front who are are blocking this are the people whose you know sacred land is at risk the people whose 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 lives and grandchildren and you know, kids lives and grandchildren's lives are at risk it, it, it's 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 the the scale at which I think the people who are, are standing up against the pipeline uh, of uh, of their own determination, I think, is being grossly underestimated by by the politicians. Uh, we're coming up right, right up to the break, uh, but I wanted to give you the last word, Lauren. Um, any any last thoughts on 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 the on the pipeline or on 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 what the media could do better, uh, or really any last thoughts? Um, honestly, I think you sort of touched on it. Just uh, sort of. The, 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 like the stakes really aren't being aren't being conveyed properly and the stakes you're right are so high for those people in BC whose whose homes and livelihoods are completely on the line and then and then to a degree like like I said there's there's that question of, of folks who live in coastal communities and their livelihood being at risk and then and then the rest of us who live across the country kind of doesn't matter where you are in on Turtle Island like your life we all know will be affected by climate change and will be affected by this pipeline going through. And I, and I think that's, that's the conversation that really, really needs to be had is, is making it so this isn't just a sort of a BC Alberta issue where you have these two warring factions. It's, it's a conversation that needs to be had across Canada and, and not just about the job prospects mm-hmm. and, and what the effects on the economy will be. It's, it's, it's sort of it's, it's the larger existential crisis that climate change poses to us. Yeah, so. yeah, and a national identity crisis too, right? It's mm-hmm. like it's mm-hmm. fundamentally asking ourselves: Do we want to be a resource extraction country until until that's no longer viable? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, somebody I was listening to the other day was like, "Yeah, this is giving Canada a really bad name on the international stage because it's going to mean that companies don't want to invest in us." And it's like that's that's not at all. Like, I'm sorry, nobody in the EU is sitting there thinking, "Oh man." <laughs> Canada's Canada's just really dropping the ball on this extractivism thing. Like, no, (laughs) nobody's thinking that. They're they're really hoping we start to pull our weight when it comes to climate change is what they're hoping. Well, I'm I'm sorry. I know Stefan wants to go to break, but I have to like you really just the the thing there as well is that like that's that's the whole nut in there as well is like, oh, companies aren't going to. No, no, no. White, like every conversation that has to do with anything with this topic is as if the only type of company that makes money in the entire planet is oil companies. (laughs) And I, I don't think you meant to like sort of infer that, but that I'm inferring that from your statement as well, too, which is that like, well, if this, well, if oil companies can't have confidence there, then no one will. And if we can't, yeah. have, if oil can't be the basis of our economy, then we have no economy. It's like mm-hmm. literally the the reason, if that is true, if we're in a position where we're so invested in oil that there really isn't another option, that's your guy's fault, not ours. <laughs> exactly. right? That's because like, you didn't take this seriously a decade ago. Is the if that is true, which I don't think it is, but if it is, it's mm-hmm. your fault, not ours. Exactly. And I'm like, I'm sorry, like, I refuse to believe that the human race lacks the ingenuity to, to figure our way out of this. Anyway. Yeah, yeah totally. <laughs> totally. Thanks so much for having me on, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much. I hope to hear from you real soon. Uh, that's uh, Lauren uh, Latour. Is that your last name? 
Yeah, that's it. Nailed it. Amazing. Uh, <laughs> our, our East Coast correspondent and also uh, one of our producers here at The Green Majority, uh, throwing over to Megan, what is our next uh, music break going to be? So for our second music break, we've got a classic. All right, we're back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM, our wonderful community radio partners all the way across the country. Very appreciated as well, as well as our podcast listeners at greenmajority.ca. That's about all the wind I got in my chest right now. Stefan, back to you. All right. <laughs> uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, so for the last section, we're trying something a little different. We'll try a headline section. Uh, Dave's got a couple headlines for us, and then we'll, we'll sort of jump off and have a conversation about them. And I believe we're going to start We're going to start with oil again, because this has been a, been a pretty – we've been deep in the, in the wells of oil, right. uh, <laughs> shall we say. Uh, so what else is happening in the world of oil, Dave? Uh, yeah, so this uh, I learned from Democracy Now. I don't actually have the news organization. They didn't report it either, but I failed to also report it. But <laughs> a Dutch news organization has uh, currently has recently published internal documents from Shell showing that the company knew about the link between fossil fuel use and climate change as far back as the 80s. Uh, the company obviously having disputed the link uh, all the while, disputed climate science and so forth, even while knowing. Uh, one confidential 1988 report from Shell was called The Greenhouse Effect, and it stated, although CO2 is emitted to the atmosphere through several natural processes, the main cause of increasing CO2 concentrations is considered to be fossil fuel burning. Uh, and Friends of the Earth Netherlands is now threatening to sue Shell unless it increases efforts to comply with the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah, and so this is this is uh, even before David even referenced, he thought it was an old story because this is very very similar to the Exxon News scandal, mm -hmm. uh, which is currently going on in. I think they're currently being sued for that in in New York, uh, and it's yeah, it's basically it, it comes down to the same point of like all of these companies. Did the due diligence before they started? Well, not before started, but like in the middle of doing this, knew what they were getting themselves into, and then just one hundred percent ignored the the fact that they should stop. Right. Mm -hmm. And 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 to, and the second part about that uh, was that I remember I, I distinctly remember this one moment. One of when we used to do the videos, we had these like we, we used to like go off on these longer rants. They're still on the YouTube, uh, still on YouTube channel. YouTube channel. Yeah, if you want to listen to us <laughs> rant about things, um, one of them is was the sh the Shell released their shareholder projections. All right. uh, to like twenty fifth up to twenty fifty, mm -hmm. and their argument was that there was that it would not decrease that that their basically their business would continue to grow all up to twenty fifty because I think their argument was that uh, India and China would would expand their usage of, of of gasoline as other places sort of decreased it and mm -hmm. so they would not have an issue. But I just remember being so irate because like. <laughs> Clearly, like at that point, they obviously knew, but they've known since 1988 uh, or earlier that they, that this was an impact. And so the idea that they would tell, basically tell shareholders, it's okay, we're going to cause catastrophic climate change, so you don't have to worry that you might lose a little bit of money, just seemed beyond, like, like comically evil, mm. almost. Um, but we can go back to the, let's get, let's, let's jump to the, uh, that, the, the second, uh, the second, there's a couple other oil stories. So Dave, you want to give you that couple the other, other headlines of the oil stories and then we'll, we'll finish this sure, up. Sure. I'll just do both in a row. Um, so an Indonesian port, uh, along the coast of Borneo, uh, is an emergency after an oil spill has spread along the coast and so far has killed five from an undersea, uh, pipe bursting. I'm assuming the deaths are from the fire. I don't know exactly though. Um, when the oil caught fire. And in the USA, the, a South Dakota spill from last November 
uh, from the Keystone Pipeline, which we mentioned earlier, is twice as big as initially reported. Uh, more than 400,000 gallons of crude spilled onto farmland, um, which was, yes, twice the amount originally pre- uh, reported by the Keystone owner, TransCanada. Yeah. And and all of this comes back to sort of this 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 question that I that I always like to 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 sort of put a little bow on the conversation we're having today. <laughs> uh, I'm consistently baffled uh, when we decide as when Canadians or when Canada uh, is is somehow uh, decided that that these international companies. Are somehow so tied up with national interest, you know the the concept that Trudeau and Notley are considering giving money to Kinder Morgan to try to convince them not to back out of this project is yeah. unbelievable. Like Kinder Morgan is a Texas-based conglomerate that has operations around the world. Ta- a, Kind of a, one of the actual when you look at it, it was one of the worst records as a pipeline company, mm. as, uh, as specifically as far as safety. I mean. Exactly, as safety. Yeah, yeah. They have the highest rate of spills. Uh, n- not a fact. I'm I'm going from memory. That could yeah. be wrong, but I believe that's accurate. Yeah, they, they, they certainly are not known as a good one uh, mm-hmm. from yeah. that from that from that context. And 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 yet we are so wrapped up in this concept that this is the only way forward that. That we've just like, basically accepted the idea that these oil companies are, are, are as Canadian as 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 hockey. You know, like it's like it's it's it's, 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 it's in as this if, case as Canadian as apple pie. Right. Exactly. Texas. <laughs> um, and and it's like it's like these these types of things are not uh, are not necessary you know like, like it's 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 as if we've we've wrapped up our our entire national interest on uh, in the in some of these things and it's it's sort of it's sort of giving away any you know Canadians are not known for a strong national identity in the first place but it's sort of if you give away that the, the idea that you know we're just going to throw money at another pipeline because it's so important and and that Kinder Morgan is the one who wanted yet and then and then you go out and you hear you know you you hear the, the the concerns of of of, of oil tankers uh, of a whole bunch of oil tanker more oil tankers going through a small inlet of of any spills. The thing about any spills, and this I go I go back to this every time we talk about this. But when we interviewed uh, the, the spokesperson for Silawatooth, and I and I asked the question of like what what is there anything that can be done to make you sort of feel okay with this project, and, and her response very bluntly, I think it's perfect, was just serene is serene. And pristine. pristine, pristine is pristine. Pristine and serene. Yeah, um, and and that and that 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 sort of that, that I, I it was it was one of those things where I was like, of course you're right. You know, it's the, the question isn't the question can never be you know oh it spills so little or oh it's 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 they're over this like it's uncommon or oh whatever it the fact that we know it, it will spill at some point in this lifetime. And then that spill will inher- will inherently mean that, that that nature is no longer pristine. It will fundamentally impact that na- that land. And and so more often than not, when it's something like you know four hundred thousand gallons, and you can't and you don't know if it's half or full, more often than not, those are in, around places where there aren't so many people, um, or or where those people don't have a voice anyways. And so you can get away with lying because 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 we sort of because we, we can sort of turn we turn our head, but it's. It's just this. It's, it's just this piece of it, which is like, we've like even like you know like even the even the idea that that a 
like Kinder Morgan doesn't care about Canada. It just doesn't. And, and, and like it, 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 it's in fact, I can make that stronger. Stefan It's not allowed to. Right. According to its, according to it, the the legal requirements on it as a company, yeah, it is not allowed to prioritize Canada's interests over its own. It is legally required not to do that. But yeah. they know that it is vital for all Canadians and our economy and our well, well-being. I'm sure, <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, exactly right. And, th- and that's the and that's the, the almost the silliness of this con- uh, of the piece of it of of and especially even more ridiculous of the concept of Canada. Like, what's funny about this is that the right wing would go nuts. If you if you position if Trudeau's position was nationalize uh, our oil in the same way that Norway did, mm. they would just like the idea of nationalizing mm-hmm. of, of, of a national oil company and then sort of you know what Norway did was they nationalized their oil company and then they use, and they've saved that money to start actually f- trying to transition off now oil. They in the now future. have the world's largest sovereign wealth fund or something. Yeah, like exactly. That. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yet that's the proposal. And that's a proposal exactly. That's the that's the decision they've decided now at this point. They're like, well, what if we just owned this pipeline? Mm-hmm. And that's a real consideration they're having, mm-hmm. so they can do this. So they can because they've decided it's so important, and and it's just like if if that if if if, if the opinion of Canadians and I see pan Canadians was that. Alberta and oil was actually fundamentally necessary for the future of Canada, then why are not all Canadians getting the benefit from a national oil company? Mm-hmm. And we've decided somehow that we want neither side to work, right? We, right. Want, we, we, want, we want, we want, we don't, it's, it's in it's, Canada's best interest that someone else profit off this project. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the best we're going to send the military against grandmothers for <laughs> like, is because Kinder Morgan being wealthy is, is in the Canadian interest. Like, like, and, and that's the thing, right? Is like, is like it, we've, we've, We've somehow parsed this in two directions and are having having an absurdist conversation, which is why ultimately when it comes back to the politicians sitting around a table, I cannot imagine that conversation on Sunday. Like, what are they going to be talking about beyond sort of being like, well, we got ourselves into a mess now, didn't we? Like... (laughs) It's, yeah, I, it I think I think for some of the players, it's financial. I think a lot of very wealthy people bet very heavily once they got the, okay, that pipeline's going down, this one's going ahead. I bet a whole bunch of people made some really heavy bets because they said, hey, look, Trudeau's finished. He knows he's finished if he didn't. That's the sort of market certainty that allowed, that that makes people with capital invest in stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think there's a lot of political uh, bets that were made here that are going to get called in that might get lost. Uh, and so that there's that. There's also a whole bunch of other folks who are going to lose a lot of money if yeah. this doesn't go ahead. And that is what we are seeing and some of those people own newspapers yeah or own companies that own conglomerates that own newspapers mm-hmm. yeah and you know and, and it's they've already you know kid morgan's already spent 1.1 billion dollars on this thing right uh but that is the end of the show uh thank you all so much uh do you want to do the readout sarah Oh, thanks. Uh, thank you for listening to The Green Majority. Have a good Green Week, folks. All the information we'll found here will be found on the website, including the uh, a lot of notes by Dave. Thank you very much for the comprehensive mm-hmm. review. Thank you very much, Lauren, for her excellent debut. And thank you, the listener, for listening. We'll see you all real soon and take care. <laughs>